0: I'm pretty excited to share this week's conversation because you're going to love this listen. My guest is Stuart Trevor, the man who made an incredible mark on the world of fashion. He's the founder of the global brand All Saints and he's now launched his new company, Stuart Trevor. There can't be many of us who haven't bought a piece of All Saints clothing. And Stuart's story is one that you're going to find very familiar, as in he has been through those highs and he has been through those lows. And my goodness, when you get to... You know, see in the back room, the store cupboard, so to speak, of stories. They just blow your mind. This is such an amazing story because Stuart is a brilliant storyteller and he speaks about his early days from his childhood in Dundee, where he was making his own clothing and trying to look like David Bowie to a gentleman at 57 doing it all again with his company, Stuart Trevor. I told Stuart how important his courage is that someone like himself who's innovated and has reimagined fashion, how important he is to all of us who are dreaming up our different dreams for different industries in different categories and how him doing it all over again is just so important to keeping all our fires burning. So if you're listening to this in the car or you're walking the dog or you're sitting in your studio or you've just made yourself a good brew and you want to get into a great story, I can't wait for you to hear it. This is Stuart. Enjoy. Bow your head and let your eyelids close on down. Where we're going, you won't need to bring your frown. Hi, I'm Holly Tucker, and welcome to my podcast, Conversations of Inspiration. I founded my first business, Not on the High Street, at 28, with a newborn strapped to my chest. Nearly 20 years on, he's all grown up, and I'm running my second business, Holly & Co. I've learned so much about taking risks, running a business, and some extraordinary life lessons along the way, and I know others have too. Yet despite the wealth of experience we have between us, lessons like this are often left unheard, and it can feel like we're traveling our paths alone. So I've reached out to founders and those who simply inspire me to share their hard-earned wisdom with you. My hope is that collectively, these remarkable realizations will help you on your own journey. I like to think of it as inspiration for life. If you enjoy this episode, might I ask you to share it with a friend and to like, subscribe and review it so that together we can ignite people's passion across the UK. Now, let's begin this week's conversation of inspiration. Inspiration. Stuart, a big warm welcome to Conversations of Inspiration. How are you today?
1: Yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, I'm all good. Thanks. How are you?
0: Well, I'm I'm very good. I'm very honoured to be speaking to you because you are a remarkable entrepreneur, a complete visionary and an icon in fashion. You're the founder of All Saints and now your namesake brand, Stuart Trevor. I cannot wait to hear more about your journey, but we've been in contact actually because I bought Harry one of your gorgeous jackets for Mm. Christmas, which he lives in. It's just absolutely beautiful.
1: Amazing. I'm glad he likes it. It's a really, actually really lovely jacket. I used to have one myself and I loved wearing it.
0: Harry absolutely adores the jacket and um, and I just, I couldn't believe that you were actually packing it and, and I told him all about it and he, he now tells all his friends and things. So that's going around uh, London University right now. I, I want to start. If it's okay with you, I want to go back to Dundee, right to the beginning, because you were born in Dundee, Scotland. Mm. Uh, You were the youngest of four children. And I read when researching you that money was incredibly tight. Your dad left when you were eight and your mum struggled to make ends meet. What do you
1: remember most about those early days of childhood? I, um, I was very happy. And um, my mother was incredible. She was a very, very loving woman and a really, you know, loving mother. And, um, I mean, we had some funny run-ins and she used to, I think it was, you know, the 70s. And we used to joke when she was alive about how she always seemed to have her hands in the sink, like, uh, you know, washing things. And if if you said something out of turn, she would... sometimes go like and you'd get a quick one off her and you'd be like and it would really hurt because her hands were wet or whatever but um I don't that's not the fondest memories is it but it's kind of like we used to joke with her um about it but I mean obviously it maybe just happened once or twice but generally I had a really loving lovely time and even though we didn't really have any money everything seemed fine I had a you know quite good school and um my mother was very very obsessed with the Mormon church and um and it kind of that church kind of takes over families lives well uh, it, you know it introduces people to each other and they all become very very close and I had a lot of friends so yeah we had a very happy childhood um one of the things that happened at that time there was um you know these these friends of my mother's um in the church and and some of them were you Know quite wealthy, or um, anyway, they, they, there was there was a thing, it's called hand me downs. They used to get given, you know, a suitcase of clothes or a box of somebody would turn up at your house and it would be all their children's clothes that don't fit them anymore, sort of thing. And um, I would go in these boxes and and I got I used to get very excited about clothes because I was I'd become obsessed with David Bowie. And I read um, that
0: actually, that you were you were six.
1: And you saw him on Top of the Pops, is that right? Well, I was at my auntie's in Brotty Ferry, which is kind of like a, the posh end of Dundee. And uh, I, we, I was at her house and uh, he came on one of those old steek, uh, teak stereograms, you know, that, uh, like a, looks like a sideboard that has a radio in it and a record player in it. And, and he, I remember very clearly I have this recollection of hearing this someone singing and the tune and the words and the, and I think it's Ashes to Ashes, but it might have been Starman. I can't remember what it was, but I just remember going over and listening to the words and, and, and like cutting everything out and just think and being it like being in another world, it just kind of brought me, it just sounded so different to anything I'd ever heard. But I remember being obsessed with David Bowie and wanting to, to be David Bowie, wanting to be like a rock star or whatever, but just, I don't remember him looking outrageous or whatever. I think it was, he just looked cool. And I just wanted to, you know, and there was a funny story. But one of the things with the hand-me-downs, I remember, you know, these box of suitcase would turn up and I would pull things out and say to my mum, like, oh, you know, I want I want to wear these. And she would laugh and go, they're, they're not, they won't fit you, they'll fit your brother. I was like this tiny little skinny kid. So she, I asked her, can you take them in So and, and can you put pleats on them like David Bowie's got? And so she took these trousers in and pleated them on the front so that they feared me and things like that. And um, that that was very, very early days of of being, and I remember as well being, I don't know why, I'd become obsessed with a pair of red boots, have a memory of, of making my mum go and buy these red boots. And she didn't really have any money, but she managed to find, I think I wanted. Doc Martens, but we got like a cheaper brand called Major Domo or something. Uh Um, But I was so proud of these and I polished them every day and I slept with them under my pillow and and they (laughs) laughed at me. My brothers and sisters laughed at me, but I just loved these boots. I was from a very young age obsessed with... You know, fashion and style. Yeah,
0: and-, and tell me about. You mentioned that you're you were raised a Mormon, and your mum was a member of the Church of the Latter Day Saints. What did that really colour your childhood? You you talked about the hand-me-downs and people. Was it a very close-knit community? Was Was that a experience that you enjoyed? Yeah, you. I, you know,
1: you were. You grew up, you know, a lot of people go to school. I mean, my mother met my father, stepfather, through the Mormon Church at um, an event. Um, they had like a, when people are divorced or whatever, they had they, they used to have these events to try and introduce.
0: Oh, right. Matchmaking.
1: Yeah, like a matchmaking thing. They'd have an event where they'd bring them from all over the country to, and she went somewhere like Birmingham, like Loughborough, that was it. Yeah. And um, she was getting ready for it and her friends came round to help her and did her makeup and did her hair and, and and brought her clothes and and styled her up and and they said to her, right, like, you know, Rosalind, whatever you do, you know, don't tell them that you've got four kids <laughs> and all that. And she went, Why? And they're like, Because nobody will take you on with four kids. <laughs> and um the funny story is she went to Loughborough and she went to this dance and she walked in and my stepfather saw her and walked straight over to her. And he said, oh, you know, she was the most beautiful woman. And she walked over to her and said, hello, my name is John. Um, would you like to dance? And and she went, oh, yeah, okay. So they went to dance and he put his arm around her. They were dancing like and and whatever. And 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 he said, so who are you? She goes, I'm Rosalind. Uh, and I'm Rosalind and I've got four kids. And he goes... <laughs> the first thing that she said, and he went, so have I, and um, and they just started talking about their kids, and they just got on really well, and within about six months, nine months, they got married, and and he came up to meet us in Dundee, and and I, I took him back to the spot he got out of his car uh, in Dundee where we used to live, um, about. Seven years ago, um, unfortunately, when we were back there for my mother's memorial, and and I drove him back to that spot and got out of the car and said, Dad, get out of the car. And he got out of the car and I gave him a big hug oh. and said, oh, I remember this this day that you turned up. And he, I remember he turned up in a we, – we we were very impressed. He had this beautiful – it was only a Renault 20 TS or whatever, but it was, you know, automatic and it had a phone in it and and it had electric windows and they were darkened and all. We were like, oh, the guy's a millionaire. We can't believe it or whatever. (laughs) Um, But he was so nice and so sweet and so loving. And, I mean, everybody in the church was. They're all, they're really lovely people. And um, as a kid, we had lots of friends, my mother's friends, children, and we all became friends and they used to organise events for the youth, um, you know, camp, Like we'd go off on a camp and we'd go off to, uh, they'd, they'd hire like pontins, um mm. like Butlins sort of thing, and you'd go for a weekend and they would... A lot to be
0: said about community. And you think nowadays, you know, in terms of children being lonely and meeting other children, if you were a single kid or... It sounds
1: yeah. There's no nightclubs or what, I mean, not nightclubs like youth clubs or whatever anymore. Yeah, isn't I know. There's... No,
0: there's, there's a total like. So you, you mentioned that your mother got remarried. You were 11 and you moved to London, where you mm. excelled at school. And there I am thinking, well, I can predict what he excelled at. Art is going to be art. But you were also a maths um, nerd, weren't you? And a physics um, kid. And you, you you had an obsession not only customising your own clothes. But you also, you were academic.
1: I don't know about that, to be honest. I I used to customise my school uniform um, and I used to make sweatshirts and things with, um, I'd I'd made one in Selfridges with the Royal Moi written on the back of it where they had this sort of heat press and you could write, you know, customise, write whatever you want. And there was a kid at school that used to joke, Called Paul Clutterbuck. And he used to joke and say that his. his <laughs> what, name, what a name! Yeah. He used to call himself the Royal Moi. And um, I kind of like, you know, thought that was funny. And it, it, we ended up becoming really good friends. And, you know, we used to joke. And so I had a sweatshirt made with the Royal Moi. For him and I thought I'll have one for me as well. So I made two and I, and I brought one and gave it to him and and I wore one myself and I, I wore it had it written on the back and I took my blazer off at school. And they used to make me sit at the front in the school because I was, you know, chatting too much. I, I didn't realise back then, but I've realised not so long ago that I pretty much full on ADHD and and talk too much. I thought it was just being Scottish because Scottish <laughs> people love talking, but. Um, <laughs> So I was sat at the front of the school, took the blazer off, and everybody could see the Royal Wa written on the back, and um, we're crying with laughter. And the the master, the teachers at the front of the school, and he can't work out what everyone's laughing at, and he's going, well, "What's going on?" And you know, and it's really weird. They never realised that I had a sweatshirt on with a crew neck, and you're meant to have a V neck on with the tie and all that. Yeah, and they never really spotted it back then. I think they they. No one else customised their uniform. Everyone just – so they, they didn't even notice, notice that I wasn't it. wearing regulation uniform. So I started other kids asking me, like, you know, could you get me a, a, one of those really cool – they didn't even know what it was. Could you get one of those really cool jumpers that you've got? And it's a sweatshirt. But, yeah. um, so I, I I got one. And I, and I used to turn up at school in the morning and pay – I paid another kid in, in sweatshirts and things to copy his homework. And I used to copy his physics homework <laughs> and, and his maths homework. Um, and for some reason, I think at that age, I had a photographic memory and it all went in. and must have, because for some reason, I had, when it came to O levels, I sailed through and I got A's in maths and physics and, and wow. geography and chem. I mean, it was. I don't know how, because I didn't really pay attention in the lessons. I wasn't that bothered about it. And it's
0: amazing, isn't it? This podcast, you're, I think, guest 180. And it's incredible when you talk to amazing people like yourself, where we can see this golden thread, this little thread that comes right from the beginning of life. And somehow it continues through and, and people have different do you know what I mean? Um, you know, they end up in a corporate job that they don't like, but somehow that golden thread keeps coming through their life and this obsession um, because it led you to going to college and not only to study fashion, as might be the case, you know, now, as we would have thought you would do, but you continued with your maths and physics and art until there was a sliding doors moment with a tutor one day. You were, I think you found yourself potentially realising that one thing you had chosen wasn't for you. Can you tell us about that moment?
1: So I I left home and I went to live with my sister and uh, got into a technical college. She was living up in the Midlands in Corby in Northamptonshire. And I got into Kettering Tech. I think it was called Tresham College to do... uh, Because at school, when I got the results, the careers teacher, they asked me, what do I want to do? And I said, well, I want to do something... um, you know, in design, um, art, you know, using, uh, I mean, I've been obsessed with drawing cartoons as a kid and at school I was in the, the print club, the art club, the life drawing class. I was, you know, I used to stay behind every single day doing either, you know, woodwork, craft design technology or art or printing or whatever. But the careers teachers, that I mean, I didn't know you could do fashion. As a job. I didn't know you could <laughs> do that as a job, no. It, it, it wasn't, the careers teacher didn't have a clue, you know. They they said, oh, the only thing that you could do is probably be an architect. So I applied and I said, well, what do I need to do that? And they said, well, you need maths and physics and, and, and art. So I um, applied to do maths I applied to an art foundation course with art A-level, maths A-level and physics A-level. And I turned up at school that day. I'd woken up in the morning. I'd I'd bleached my hair when I left home. I bleached my hair blonde and left it dark at the back like David Sylvian. And I had my nose pierced um, (laughs) like the the week I'd left school. And I had the summer holidays where I lived with my sister, but I fell out with her at the end. Um, But I also went to – I fell out with my sister, but so I went to – like a, I don't know whether it was a dole office or whatever, but, um, I went to a benefits office or something and spoke to them and said that, you know, I've left home and I'm going to college. And I, I basically managed to persuade them to, to pay my rent for me and to give me something like 25 pounds a week, um, income, something sort of, I don't know what it would, some additional income or something. I can't remember what it was called. Um, and uh, and I ended up at this college. But the day I got up in the morning, and I I'd looked at my roots had come through, and they were really dark roots, and blonde hair, and I just thought, oh, the hair was quite long. hadn't you know didn't have any money, so I couldn't didn't have a, hadn't cut it. It was just long, and and I decided to, I, I nicked a burgundy crazy color off my sister, so I dyed my hair burgundy. But after about an hour and a half, this was about 6.30 in the morning, about 7.30 when I washed it out and dried the hair, the hair was fuchsia, bright fuchsia pink. And I was like, what, what am I going to do? I can't turn up looking like that. And I had to hitchhike as well. And I was convinced I wasn't going to, you know, nobody picked me up. I'd look like a nutcase. So anyway, I just got some Brill Cream and and some Country Born Gel. And, and, and you know, that was the only sort of hair products that, that you could get in those days there was none. You know, there was no moose; hadn't been invented, none of that stuff. So I just put all of my hair and slicked it back, and I went and got on the – um went over and stuck my hand out to hitchhike, and two cars kind of woo, pulled up, and I had to argue with – there was a golf and a, and a beetle, and I had to – I went to get in the beetle, and the guy in the golf got out and said, get in here, get in here. and I went, I'm going to get in this – get in here. <laughs> I was like – and I just happening? waved at him and got in the beetle, and I said to them, I thought I was going to be waiting here for, for an hour – and they went. I said, "I can't believe you know." Two of you pulled up the first car that went. The first cars that went by, and they went. There's no way we're not getting. Letting you know, we 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 want to ask you. Well, who the hell are you? You what? What rock band are you in? What you know? And I'm like, "Oh, I'm not in a band." Anyway, I went to college, uh, and I had a I had a boiler suit on with a studded belt and a and a leather jacket that I'd cropped and a pair of biker boots. And I went to Art Foundation and you, you spent the first morning there, I think, or the first quarter of the morning. And then I went, and which everything was good, but I was so nervous. I was, you know, 16 years old, sitting there thinking, oh, Jesus Christ, I look like an idiot. <laughs> um, everyone must be laughing at me, oh, but i just got to get through today. I'll be okay I'll, and I'll dye my hair tonight or I'll cut it all off or something, you know. Then I went to the maths lesson and maths A level compared to O level. I'm just sitting there thinking, "What the hell have I done?" There was it was all algebra, and I just couldn't. It was another world, and 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 I just thought. I've made a huge mistake, and and then I went to the physics lesson. That was even worse. I couldn't. I, I just I just sat there thinking, "What the hell have I done?"
0: I can also imagine the teacher looking at you in your fuchsia hair and your boiler suit, and maybe looking
1: at the other students and going, "Um, are you meant to be here?" I was kind of. I don't know. I just. I remember just thinking, "I've got. I, there's no way I can do this." And what am I going to do? And I went to the canteen, and immediately I sat, you know, got something to eat and sat down with my tray. Somebody came over looking like Robert Smith. And they, uh, hello, mate, um, what band are you in? Like that. And and uh, and I went, I'm, I'm not in a band. And and they went, you must be. You look like a rock god. Oh, you know, can I sit with you? And I went, yeah, sit down, you know. And, and then someone else came over looking like um, Alana Curry from the Thompson Twins. She had, like, shaved hair at the sides and a Mohican. And, and, um, and she was like can I sit with you? And I'm like, yeah, of course. And she went, oh, and she goes, what's your name? And I'm, I'm Stuart. She's like, well, what band are you in? I'm, I'm not in a band. You must be, you look like a rock. <laughs> oh, that's that's funny you should say that. And she said, but are you on the fashion course? I went, what, what fashion course? She went up the end of the holiday. You, you must be on the fashion course. She goes, but I was in there and you weren't there. I went, I don't, what? T- tell me about this fashion course. She went, come on, come on and, so we got up and we walked down the corridor and there's me and Robert Smith and Susie Sue and 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 Olana Curry from the Thompson Twins we walk up the corridor she takes me into this room and there's all these mannequins and pattern cutting tables and sewing machines and 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 irons and and and, and I just like my eyes were just like oh my heart was like this is this is unreal this is like I couldn't believe cuz I I'd, I'd learned to, my mother had taught me how to sew because I'd been customizing you know, clothes and um, on her machine at home and things like that. So I went up to the tutor and I said like, you know, Oh, hi. Um, I'm really sorry. I said, but I'm, uh, I've made a huge mistake. And I said, I've, I've, I've been wrong. I'm on the art foundation course, but I I, I I need to be on this course. And she went, well, I'm, I'm sorry, you're too late. You you know, you'll have to have come back next year. And I went, no. It, it, and, and, and the girl said, miss, missy. Are you mad? Look at him. Look at this kid. He's, you know, he he needs to be on this course. She's like, oh, can you even sew? And I went, uh, yeah. And she went, really? I went, yeah. She went, uh, okay. Um, so she pulled out this, this thing, which was the five stages of how you make a pocket, like a, a double-jetted pocket. Um, and she gave me a bit of fabric and a little pattern piece to cut the bits out. She said, go away and make that. And if you can make that by the end of the day, I'll consider it. So I went off and made a pocket in about 10 minutes and brought it back to her. And she just went, wow, you're miles ahead of everyone else. You can start tomorrow. Oh, so, yeah.
0: That was it. That's, that is the moment. My goodness, what a twist of fate, And just, well, your whole direction and life changed. A while ago, I was talking to the team here at Holly & Co. about why people don't seem to do more for Valentine's Day. Because every day we wake up with love in our hearts and very much want to show those around us how much we adore them. From the best friend who's going through the messiest divorce to the teenager struggling with exams or the husband who gets about as much attention these days as the invisible man. Not to mention mum who does so much for us all without even a whisper. Love seems to fill our hearts and our lives, yet we never really take the time to give it time. And maybe that's because we just don't have enough of it. So we decided to help turn a day that's meant to be about love into exactly that and give you everything you need to celebrate it all under one roof. It's not about the red roses. It's far deeper than that. It's a day to show those who's closest to you that you couldn't do this life without them. And if you don't have the words, don't worry. We've got all kinds of original, thoughtful ways to help you show a little love to all those you love. Head to holly.co for ideas. Now, back to our conversation of inspiration. I'm going to take you now to when you went on to obviously study fashion at Nottingham Trent University and your talent was very quickly recognised and you won the Smirnoff Fashion Award. What was this lady called, by the way, your tutor? Pam Keeling. Pam. Okay, thanks,
1: Pam. We've got a lot to owe Pam, haven't we? Someone sent me a message recently, somebody who was at at that uh, Tresham College with me. They wrote, Pam would be proud of you. I thought that was really funny. I don't even know where she is now. I did keep in touch with her and I invited her to some family events years later, but I lost touch with her. But I'm not even sure if she's still around.
0: Well, Pam, if anyone knows Pam... Um, stranger things have happened, Stuart, on this podcast. But you won the Smyrna Fashion Award. And then you were contacted by David Rees, the founder of Rees. Yeah. And that started a 10-year working relationship. And it must have felt like a wonderful dream at the time because you started working for Rees part-time whilst you were still studying. And then full-time, is that right after university? Yeah. Was this... Was this, you know, from the boy who didn't think that you could actually have a job in fashion, here you were sort of cutting your teeth and and sort of starting your trade and honing that skill.
1: What was that time like? I mean, it was great. When I ended up winning the Smirnoff and getting contacted by David and uh, going down to see him, I I didn't actually want to work for Reese in the beginning because they had a shop in Nottingham and they used to just buy in from... Italian brands, and it was kind of a little bit boring, a little bit. It wasn't that cool. It was kind of maybe a little bit preppy or whatever. But I, I he rang the college about ten times, and the head of the college, the dean of faculty, told me, you, "You've got to go. You, you've got to ring this guy back. You can't just ignore him." But I'd been. I'd, I'd also won a Smirnoff, no, a um, Montblanc and Paul Smith competition. I was a finalist in that, and I had made these suits by turning them inside out and using the interior seams on the outside. And uh, I'd done that for the Paul Smith competition. Paul Smith loved it. And he wanted to put that in his collection and he offered me an internship. So I actually wanted to work with Paul Smith. And that was one of the reasons why I applied to go to Nottingham was hoping that I would meet Paul Smith. So I went to Nottingham. I loved it in Nottingham. And uh, anyway, so I rang this David Reese. He, he asked me to come to London to see him and the the the, the, the head of faculty said, you, you've got to go, you've got to get go. He said he'll pay for the ticket and everything. So I took the train down and I thought, I'll go to London for the day, it'll be right. So when I arrived on the King's Road, King's Road was still rocking and, and I was like, wow, you know, this is great actually. He said, you know, so I went to see him and I laid out the and he went, yeah, 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 yeah. And he just handed me an envelope with like, and, and I said, what's this? He goes, open it, open it. And, and I said, well, don't you want to look at the... The clothes and he went I've seen them they look great I, you know you're you're great I, I, I think you are I think you're a really talented young kid and I want you to come and work with me he said next week I'm going to Florence in Italy to uh, the greatest menswear fair in the world he goes and we're going to stay at the best hotels in the world and we're going to go shopping in the best shops in the world and we're going to go to the the, the best men's exhibition in the world and we're going to go to the best fabric mills in the world and and you're going to buy fabric there, choose fabrics that you like, and we're going to take them to my little factory in Prato right nearby and, and we're going to put them into work and then within a couple of weeks they'll be in the shop downstairs. And I was like looking at him thinking, all I could think about is what am I going to tell Paul Smith? So I said to him, like, you know, well, unfortunately it all sounds really great, but I'm, <laughs> I, I've am i been offered an internship at Paul Smith and I think, you know, I really, really want – to do that, I really, really, that's one of the reasons I went to Nottingham was to meet Paul Smith. And now I've been offered this. He went, don't worry about him. Just open the envelope. So I opened the envelope and it had 500 quid in it and a ticket to to Pisa. And and he said, we fly flying to Pisa. we get a, a taxi, a limousine. It'll take us <laughs> to Florence. He goes, don't worry. He goes, and he said, just come with me. He goes, I, I think you'll like it. He goes, honestly, he goes, and if you don't like it, you don't have to, Come again," he said. "But but I think you'll like it," he said. "And the best thing is you don't have to tell Paul Smith." <laughs> and I thought, I looked at the money and, and and I thought, I've got nothing to lose, have I? So I said, "Okay, yeah, I'll come." And I got on the plane with David Reese, like you know, a week later. And he said to me, "Right," he goes, "What's what's the big look for next year like that?" And I just, just suddenly went, "Oh my god!" They don't teach you anything like that at college. And uh, so I just described one of the external tutors that used to come in who used to wear like a, a hoodie with a zip uh, 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 with a Mac over the top and and um, a pair of trousers with little zips in the, in the bottom and a pair of monkey boots. And he used to wear like a baseball cap, so slightly turned to the side that had like numbers or I think it was N- NY, like New York or whatever on it. But I, I didn't know what that was. I, I just thought it was a symbol. So I <laughs> described this to David Reese and people wouldn't believe it but back in this is 1985 or something a hoodie didn't exist you know like it's it's the number one yeah. best selling garment in in for youth and even you know slightly older people are, or whatever a hoodie everyone wears a hoodie no one wore it. you couldn't get them there wasn't there wasn't shops like that any around so i was describing a hoodie by saying it's like a knitted cardigan but it has a zip and and it's got like a hood uh, and it has like little strings, so you can make the hood a little bit smaller. And he's going, "Oh yeah, that sounds interesting." I said, "It's got a pocket on the front, like a like a patch pocket, and it has like ribs on the cuff." And he's going, "Oh, that sounds that sounds good." So a like cardigan with a hood that sounds good. And I said, "And a mac with like a little tab on the collar and little patch pocket in it." He was going. Oh, sounds good! And 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 a trousers with little zips and, and monkey boot. And he's going. Oh, sounds great! And a cap with like numbers on the front or something. <laughs> he's going. Oh, sounds great! You know. And anyway, we landed and we got in this taxi and the taxi was driving like a hundred and twenty miles an hour from Pisa to Florence and we arrived in Florence and if you've never been to Florence before in your life, you remember this is some kid who's just come from. He started out in Dundee, and, well, he's ended up in London, but you know, and then he's in Nottingham. Yeah, incredible. You arrive in Florence in in a, in, a, in like a limo, and you pull up in this outside this beautiful hotel, and we were in a piazza underneath the hotel. And David said, "You know, you're staying in that hotel, and I'm staying in this one opposite." It was a little bit posher. He said, "I'm just going to go up to my room and freshen up." So I was handed my bag in, and I was walking around in the piazza a little bit there, thinking. He's gonna find me out now. <laughs> I haven't got a clue what I'm talking about, <laughs> and and I, I I went back there a couple of weeks ago, and uh, I brought um, my partner and, and a kid I was with, and said this is this is the piazza where I arrived with David Reese, and I was wandering around thinking, well at least I got a trip to Italy out of it, you know. He's gonna find out that I haven't yeah. got a clue what I'm talking about, but. And also because he was quite straight. So, you know, he used to wear a blazer with a shirt and tie, and a pair of chinos, and a pair of loafers. It was so not what I was in. That wasn't yeah. fashion. That was very preppy. And everything I was into was a lot cooler, you know. Um, so I thought it's not, yeah. not going to work out. I haven't got a clue what I'm talking about for one, but also my what I'm interested in is not what he's interested in. So anyway, he came down and we walked around the shops and we, we arrived outside some of the coolest shops in the world, and they had all the new collections in because they always bring them in really early for Pitti Uomo in in Florence. It's the first menswear, it's first on the fashion calendar, and a lot of designers try and get their clothes delivered to the shops really early so that they can, you know, because everybody from all over the world flies yep. in from you know Japan and, and New York and L A and amazing, and everything in the windows. You wouldn't believe it. There was like you know cardigans with a hood on it and a zip and 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 mats <gasps> and trousers with little zips in and and the the mannequins are all wearing monkey boots and and caps with numbers on and <laughs> David's like I couldn't believe it. He's gone in the shop and he's trying it all on. He was looking for inspiration as to what to produce for Reese but also, you know, what to buy because he used to buy in from a lot of people then. So so he started buying the samples and he brought them back and we went back to the hotel room and he went up the stairs and he got all the bags out. And I'd never before in my life been to these really expensive designer shops and he he rang down and he said, can we have a bottle of champagne and bring up some of those little things, the nibbles and all that. And He'd (laughs) make two bottles of champagne, put the phone down, and he said to me, just you go and sit on the terrace and catch some sun. It was beautiful. It was in June or I think June, 1985. So I sat on the terrace and all that and the champagne. Tea. He said, I'm just going to call the office. And he called the office and he rang like his general man. He's going, this boy's a genius. He worked it all out. He knew everything. He knew all the, the boy's a genius. I can't believe it. like that. He put the phone down. He goes, come here, give me a hug. He goes, this is brilliant. He goes, we're going to, and, and he thought that I'd had a vision and, and, and yeah, Oh, well, wouldn't you? I mean, how old were you? Were you 19? I think I was about 18 or 19, yeah.
0: 18 or 19. And I'm gonna, I mean, God, I could say, I just absolutely love these stories. I mean, it's remarkable because you ended up becoming the because I want to get into the All Saints um conversation here, but you it you ended up becoming the head of design and buying at Reese. And you were 19 years old. Yeah. And he must have just literally thought, well, he he thought you'd predicted the future. Yeah. And he's, he's thinking, oh, my goodness. What was, so that was 10 years, wasn't it, that you spent at Reese?
1: Yeah. On that trip, we then went to the show and we went to the best restaurants in the world and we went to the best fabric mills in the world. And when I went in these fabric mills, I mean, I was they, they, these were fabric mills that were making all the best fabric. There was one in particular in Prato called Carpini, and they used to do all the wash gabardine for Jean Paul Gaultier, who was the number one menswear designer in the world. And you could see his name written on the rolls, and, and Armani, and you know, you you could you could you yeah. wandered around, you could see that that this was the best in the world. And and I went in there, and I found all this. Dead stock. I went. I asked if I could have a look around the fabric mill, and I remember David Reese going, "What for?" Like that, and I'm like, "I've never been to a fabric mill in my been. life. I'd like to <laughs> have a look and see what goes on." I know you think I'm a fashion god, but I'm I'm not quite there yet. <laughs> I've never, I, you know, I, I I'm everywhere I've ever been. I always if I want to know everything about Get behind it. the and scenes. Then, so so he took me for a tour of the factory. The guy loves it because he that's what he does. So as we're wandering around, we see this. Tons of dead stock fabric. I've asked him, what's this? And it's got, like, you know, Gaultier's name on it. He, he's going, oh, you know, ah, casino, casino, which I, I didn't know then, but I was learning Italian. I used to write the words down, and I'd have a little dictionary, look up casino, and it says disaster. And I'm like, what's a disaster? He spoke English, this guy, but a lot of Italians didn't. But I, And I was trying to translate, but basically – Every time that they produce two thousand meters of a fabric, they have to make two thousand two hundred in case something goes wrong, and then every time so it, when something doesn't go wrong, they end up with two hundred meters of fabric they don't know what to do with. Yeah. So this was all dead stock fabric. So I I said, can we can we buy it because right. it was there sitting there. He went, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we took swatches of it, and I did a deal. And, and bought all his dead stock fabric and had it shipped to the little factory around the corner and went there and, and put things into work. So I'd, I'd, I'd made myself a little uh, sort of shirt jacket with a zip in it, like a, with a, with a little cotton. And I, and I gave that to the factory and said like, you know, can you make a sample of this and, and make that in this fabric? And can you make a, a three button blazer and a, and a waistcoat and a pair of trousers with pleats and, and there was a, a ro- load of colours like you know red and, and blue and greeny you know and those like really quite unusual looking things and and David just considering up until then he was like navy blazer mm. white shirt tie chinos classic suits classic blazers classic chino classic you know crew neck jumper and you know very very non design sort of thing he yeah. just kind of let me do whatever I wanted and it all arrived in the shop. I think the samples came about two weeks or three weeks later and I had to come back down and meet him because I came back to London and he he said basically, you know, I want you to come every Friday and and we'll work every – every get the train every Friday morning at 6 o'clock and, and we'll meet in the King's Road at 9 from Nottingham and stay over in London on Friday night and we'll work all day Saturday. So I ended up for the, the next year – all the way through and, and in the summer as well, from the summer holidays, I ended up working there every day. Um, and we got on really well. And he and, and this stuff arrived in the shop and it sold out in one day. And uh he was just like, Wow. Yeah again, champagne, champagne. Well, I think we were over the champagne <laughs> by then. It was just kind of like, it, he was then arguing with me because I was I wanted one for myself. And he, he was going, no, 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 you could get, you'll have to wait, you'll have to wait, you know, because he just wanted to sell it. <laughs> he wanted to take the money. Um, what a story. It's kind of madness if I think about it now, an 18, 19-year-old kid.
0: Yeah, but I mean, what respect to him to have that vision, to have that, now having had your businesses, you know, you think about what trust he must have had in you and seen in you. Um, And you spent 10 years at Reese, but ultimately decided that you wanted to launch your own business, but were initially rejected by the banks for a loan, of course. And you then started All Saints. Um, What was the inspiration behind the name and will you do me the honor of sharing the story of of it starting? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. So I'd been with David all, you know, about ten years, and when my grandfather died, he left us all of us, you know, some money. So I was about twenty-two and I'd now was full-time at Reese and I'd gone over at Christmas to see my parents in Arizona, and I had the flu. And I was in bed all week. I couldn't move. And I I I think by the time that I had to leave, I had to fly to LA, because I was going to see my mate in LA for a week and then fly back to London and go back to work at Reese. And on the way to the airport, we drove past a, a fire station and it had one of these Volvo P18 hundreds outside. And I I said to my dad, stop the car, stop the car. He said, what is it? What is it? I said, I've got to go and see that car. So he stopped the car and I ran across this uh, <laughs> lawn to the back of the fire station and it had a for sale sign in it. And I couldn't believe it. So my dad was kind of walking along and behind me. And I went into the fire station. I said, oh, there's a car outside. It's, um, it says it's for sale. And he went, yeah, 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 yeah. I said, how much is this car? And he goes, it's $1,500. And I went, take me to the cash point. So I went <laughs> to the cash point, got the money out and gave him it. And drove the car to LA that night, and um, and so that car, I had, I then had it left it in LA, went back to London, got it, had to work out how to get it shipped, uh, shipped it to London, went and picked it up, took it to a garage, got it all sorted, serviced, and 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 I drove that car for, I mean, I still got it, so uh, but I drove it. I never owned another car for twenty years. I drove that car, so when I was driving anywhere in London, people used to go, do, 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 do. oh look, here comes the saint, and all this <laughs> sort of stuff. And, and, oh, and the another thing is, my initials are ST, ST. like Simon Templar, so it all kind of made sense. Wow! And when I with Reese, when I first joined them, it was just a retail store, and I started putting collections together that looked really great. And David said to me, "Go." You know, I said we should show it in Paris, and he went, "Oh, don't be stupid. Ask for real designers." I said, "I am a real designer," <laughs> and um, and we did that, and we <sighs> sold the collection to Barney's, New York, Nordstrom, Isitan in Japan, uh, galleries, Lafayette, Selfridges, Harrods, and Reese became like an international designer brand. Yeah, um, and so I, I, I was selling to the buyers from. Selfridges and all the coolest independent retailers in in Britain and that, and and in LA and the, and they all used to come to Paris and I would run the booth and run the stand and take the orders and write down, you know, connect with all these different. So I knew the insides and outs now of mm. how to launch an international fashion brand. And a lot of them used to say to me, "Why don't you do your own brand?" And I was like, oh, "I'm quite enjoying this. It's really great." And then I suddenly thought, but I'd wrote down names for it. And I had Stuart, Trevor, S.T., uh, Saint, um, my middle initial's G for Gardner. So S.G.T., Sergeant. I'd written down all these, like a yes. list. And, and and then I was on All Saints Road in Notting Hill, in, in Notting Hill Carnival, uh, and, I, and I was had a few drinks. So I was like, like sitting in the street with a mate, and I looked up and I just saw All Saints Road. I thought, All Saints, that sounds cool. That works. If someone asks you, where do you get your jacket from? All Saints sounds better than The Saint or Stuart Trevor, or it just yeah. rolls off the tongue.
0: Yeah. And this is I- incredible because it was mid-90s. And I definitely am um, thinking back to this sort of explosion of youth culture at the time. And you had Britpop, didn't you? And it felt like there was a movement happening. And All Saints just captured that attitude and spirit. Were you looking for a gap in the market, or was it more instinctual? I think it—it it feels from your story, it was very instinctual. As, as uh, David was, you know, getting his champagne, there was something that comes out of you. Um, you, you, you have a, you have a, you had such a clear aesthetic for the brand. Do you think that that is? I mean, that is it, isn't it? You're the designer. But how, how did you, did you have the confidence to do it on your own? Did you did you know what you were going to do? Did you see it?
1: Yeah, just when I was working for David and we used to argue a lot because, you know, as I said, he was a very, very classic dresser and, and I wanted always to do, you know, slightly more interesting clothes, but nothing wacky, just, but to him it was wacky. The idea of, you know, people wearing, I mean, I used to look at, historical garments like, you know, fifties. In the fifties, you know, James Dean or whatever, they used to wear these little sort of rayon twill zip blazers with a collar on it and little, you know, and I wanted to do jackets like that and little bomber jackets and or um or do a blazer that has a shirt collar rather than a, a you know, but I mean mm. I all these things had existed. Like you look at the Beatles, they had a blazer without a collar and yeah. you know, I so I was Just always wanted to do something slightly different. I always felt that, you know, what's the point of doing classic? Because there's already loads of people you can buy that off. So if you're going to do your own thing, it needs to be something really cool. But I took, I I used to buy vintage pieces like, you know, vintage biker jacket. I I used to look at, I used to love all these sort of British um, subcultures like Teddy Mm -hmm. Boys and Rockers and the 50s sort of, and, and and American or US military or British military. And I used to look at all these, and I and I, I remember actually thinking, and it, it's kind of funny, but it, it, I remember thinking at one point when I watched um, Elton John had a, a song out called I Guess That's Why They Called It, the Blues, and they were all wearing like teddy boy frock coats. And I used to really like them. And then there's a bit in it where she, the girl, falls in love with a rocker who wears a biker jacket. Yeah. And I remember thinking at the time, yeah, the biker jacket's a lot cooler. I need to find a really cool biker jacket. So I went to a vintage shop and put, picked out a really cool biker jacket. Sent it off and got it made. And 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 they're still selling that biker jacket. Thirty-five years later, they're still their top ten best-selling items or whatever. But um, I, I it, it was very instinctual. When I, I think when I put it together, I used to always think about longevity and about designing things that wouldn't look silly in five years time or 10 mm. years.
0: Tell me about, cause I want to get to your, well, I, there's a few things actually I want to get to, but I want to just ask if you can a whistle stop tour, because I'd like to get to this current day. You basically grew this business into something that was, just booming, wasn't it? It it was fast growing. Mm. You were juggling all the balls, um, so many different Mm. elements to balance. You were ordering, you know, 500 of one jacket, 1,000 of another jacket. You were basically, you got yourself into a situation where you were running a big business. How did that feel? And how did did navigating what was a dream (laughs) and now was a reality... Um what was that like that experience before we get into sort of your next chapter
1: well you know uh, uh you may have seen it but like i said there's there's clips that went out i did a podcast about a year ago and in it i i i hadn't prepared for that at all i just went in there and then i got asked all these questions and and during the podcast i said to him oh I just remember it was a nightmare. I, all of a sudden I was juggling all these balls. I'm doing 15 million turnover. I'm a kid from Dundee in Council in, in Estate, Dundee. Now I'm like and, – and I wrote – I put something out on social media, post about it, and then a couple of friends got back to me and said, you weren't scared. You were just having a party every night. Really? And and and, and I remember laughing at it going, yeah, you know what, to be honest – I yeah. I don't think I was scared, I, but I I just thought I, I knew that All Saints by that point. I knew that it could be a huge brand. I, I mean, I it was virtually impossible. We couldn't go wrong. I, I was doing things like um, I'd got a vodka brand um, to give me sell me two hundred bottles of vodka, and I made a label uh, out of like a cross made out of skulls mm-hmm. and a skull made out of crosses, and I made a hundred. Of each, I labelled them up and I put them behind the till in the shop, and, and 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 there was like a little sign that says, you know, All Saints Vodka exclusive. If you want to, you know, spend five hundred pounds to get one of these, and all that. We sort of did it as a joke in November, the run up to Christmas, and and I think within a week we'd sold all two hundred bottles, and and um, got got in touch with the vodka company, and they were like, we haven't got any more. We can't just. You can't supply you or whatever, but I remember thinking at the time we could we could sell anything. Yeah. Um, the one thing that happened was was around that period, um, I, I'd moved to Spitalfields. I'd taken that ground floor unit, and we decided to take the offices above and the basement below to put the pattern cutting room in. But in the end, we didn't. We we just turned it into a shop, and and, and I'd. I'd had two partners that I was working with, and one of them um, was a silent partner. And one was a, a working partner, and he we had a bit of a fallout because he did something really weird. He did this thing where he decided that he he, he was running the shops and looking after the staff and the retail, and I was doing all the design and the buying and the and. All. We used to work together a lot on everything, but um, so I did have a. He was he was actually really good at all that. But he put this thing into, he put in a, a no inter-company relationship ban. So basically I had 15 shops all over the country with the best-looking kids running them and, and managing them and, you know, window dressers travelling up yep. And of course of course they're going to have inter-company yes. relationships. But then I remember ringing up the Manchester shop and asking for the manager and he said, oh, he's, he's been suspended. I said, what are you on about? He goes, it- Mick suspended him. This guy had suspended him. I was like, "Why?" He goes, "Oh, because he's been shagging the window dresser." And she, I said, "Well, where's she?" He Goes, "She's suspended as well." I went, "What?" And, and and I said, "Oh, I'm going to ring, I'm going to ring the guy in Birmingham and see." So he goes, "He's been suspended as well." And I, and and it turned and then the area manager and it turned out all these people were on suspended on full pay and I'm ringing them to find out why the takens have gone down. It's because it didn't have any manager or whatever. Anyway, I there was things that had gone on and and I had been courted by a guy who had just sold Karen Millen for 65 million. And I was thinking, how am I going to get from that point to that point? Yeah. Maybe I need someone like that who has the experience. So I ended up talking to him. He was like, yeah, listen, I'm going to make your life easier. You can concentrate on design. You could just fly around the world. We'll get a shop in New York and, and Miami. So I got on a, plane and went off to New York and, and then flew down to Miami and fat, met up with agents and and looked at stores and 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 virtually signed them up, but, you know, went back to get proven things like this. So in the end, it turned out, though, that this this guy, once he had majority share, because he'd bought these two partners out, it was, he wanted to borrow, he, he put a £20 million loan on the table and signed that. And I was like, I need to see a business plan. I'm not saying, just sign it and i'm like i'm, I'm like, i can't do that i don't i need to know what we're going to do and in the end i just had to negotiate my way out of it because i didn't i didn't feel comfortable i'm i'm risk averse and mm. um i just didn't think that it th- this was right for me so at that time it was kind of sometimes in life you know with people when they start their own business you get to a point where you have an opportunity to get out and i just thought at that time that was the right thing to do
0: yeah So, how, because I've spoken to founders on this podcast who have Joe Malone and people who have sold their businesses and uh, Bobby Brown and um, lots of companies where, you know, and it's, it's, it's an, I'm very, very proud of this podcast because we've, I think, captured the most stories of founders where they've moved on from their brand Mm. and the, um, and myself as well. You know, what's your relationship now when you walk past, all Saints. What's your what's your feeling that you get? It's fine. I mean, I'm you know It's
1: okay. Yeah. Um, I mean I had to, when I first sold it, I used to have to drive by the Spitalfields store every day to take my kids to school. Um and I, in the beginning, I mean I I was happy. I I didn't have any worries. I had yeah. a load of money in the bank, I, you know. Yeah. Started out a new brand. I was really enjoying that. And I started out a new label called Bolingaro Trevor. And, and in with that brand, I mean, I did 10 years and then I sold that. But um, in that period, I had so many fun things. I dressed nearly every, a lot more than I'd done with All Saints. I dressed virtually every one of the coolest British and American rock and roll bands, met loads of them. I used to get phone calls off of... People like you know Duff McKagan from Guns and Roses. Can, I'm coming to London. Can I meet you? And all that. And I'd have to go and meet him and sell him four leather jackets and at home house. Um, and then you know end up spending the night hanging out and partying and things like this. So, I mean, wow, loads of really interesting things. I've uh, you know so uh, having started out as a kid who wanted to be David Bowie, I ended up dressing nearly everyone. I. I, I that close actually at one point I with Bolingaro Trevor I had a shop in Spitalfields and I got a phone call from the manager he sent he sent me a picture of, of a, a, a an Asian guy he said do you know this guy and I looked at him and I was Kanzai Yamamoto who was David Bowie's stylist and he said he's in the shop he's buying loads of stuff He's, he's in, in he, you know, come and meet him like that. And I got on my bike and cycled from the studio in Hoxton down <laughs> to Spitalfields. And I just got there too late. He'd been and gone, but he'd spent about 10 grand in the shop buying like loads of Bologaro Trevor stuff. So I was like, oh my God, he's going to, we're going to dress David Bowie. This is amazing. This was about 10 years ago. And you know, a couple of years after that, David Bowie passed away. So unfortunately, oh. it never happened. Um, because that would have been... That would have been the full circle, wouldn't it? That would have been the highlight, I suppose.
0: Each week, I hand this ad break over to our partners at Royal Mail. And this time, I'm here to share a thought with fellow founders about ways to reach more customers. Now, I don't know about you, but certainly for me, after launching Holly & Co., the year ahead for us is all about getting the word out there, attracting new customers and telling our audience who we are and what we do. As a listener, you'll know that I'm very much an advocate for really trying to understand customers, knowing everything about how and why they consume content, and finding ways to engage with people and cut through the noise, especially when there are so many retailers vying for attention. One of the decisions I made early on was to send something friendly through the post. From a Christmas catalogue to a personal letter, in a time when the world feels very digital and AI seems to be taking over, people really appreciate something physical. A white paper from W.A.R.C. stated that 64% of consumers say that mail retains their undivided attention. And considering we all see or hear around 100,000 words a day to get that kind of cut through is incredible. So whether it's a leaflet, a letter or something more substantial, a door drop might really just help your business. Just head over to Royal Mail Small Business Hub via RoyalMail.com to find out more about postage. Now, back to this week's Conversation of Inspiration. So recently, tell me about Stuart Trevor, because as we started this podcast, I am a shopper of yours, a sustainable fashion brand that promises to keep clothes in circulation by reimagining vintage and secondhand clothing. And you say the last thing the world needs is another clothing company. What about a clothing company that doesn't produce any clothing. And it's a pretty bold statement, of course, from you. Tell me about this brand and how it works. I mean, I'm stuck on the website, your videos. I loved every single second of it, and it's only just really begun. So tell me about this brand.
1: Yeah, it's still very early days. So I started working a couple of years ago with young startup businesses that have a positive social or environmental impact Some of these were there was a denim brand that um, that called Fanfare Label. They take vintage jeans and they customize them and they and then they sell them. So it's the circular economy. Um, And I'd been helping and and working also with a a bakery that um, employs victims of domestic abuse, so that these primarily women can get out of a dodgy relationship. They don't. um, They can. They can you know look after their family and and have a good life and and there was coffee roasters and grinders and coffee shop that has employs ex-offenders that um you know they 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 train them to become a barista so that they don't end up back in jail and and I was as I was doing this and and speaking to their investors and um speaking to landlords about opening a, a mini department store to bring them all together and I I I was meeting so many people and they were like why don't you do another brand? Because you know, I'm like oh, the last thing the world needs is another clothing <laughs> brand. There's there's far too much clothing out there, and and I, when I researched it, it more, the figures are astounding. There's a hundred billion garments a year in production, Um, and uh, you know there's clothes. I mean, I showed this. I, I prepared a deck recently for investors, um, and and in it some of the research that we found, there's a, there's a pile of clothes the size of Mount Everest that goes in a landfill every seven minutes. And, and my daughter said, dad, you can't write that. I said, why? She goes, because it's, that's ridiculous. That's preposterous. It's, 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 no one's going to believe mm. that. I'm like, oh, and I brought up the article that it yeah. comes from and it is a fact. She's like, Oh my God, this is dad. Well, what are we going to do? I said, I think we're going to launch a clothing company that doesn't produce any clothes. She said, Well, what do you mean? Because uh, so these investors were saying, But you look really cool. And I usually, I only ever wear vintage or, and generally I, I, I used to customize it. I used to put patches yeah. on it or badges or it or, or, yes, yes, <laughs> things like that. Yeah. So they were going, Well, why don't you do that? And, and actually, there are warehouses full of, american and british and and belgian and and swiss army military clothing and there there's 80 there's one just outside of london's got eighty thousand square feet and they're boxes that it's all a bit of a jumble it's a bit of a mess but you can go through it and find really amazing pieces and they have like you know dead stock items and you can pick these up and 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 i take them and and i relabel them and i and i Co, you know, co-brand them, and I added a little, a little sort of white label it. that I zigzag the stitch the on with a red, yeah, and I sign it. And you sign it. I know. My partner's idea was, why don't you sign it to so the original label? I came up with a logo that's an ST that looks like a David Bowie lightning bolt. Yes, it with does. A T. I thought that the second I saw it, and that was the label. I just wanted that to be the label, but I'd written Stuart Trevor on. The back of the label. But then every when, and the first garments have that, that double label. So you only see the ST. But then everybody, when I showed it to people, they said, We why don't you just do Stuart Trevor? And I owned StuartTrevor.com. I mean, this was about four or five years ago. I started making the first oh,
0: really? samples. And
1: I wasn't thinking about making a business. I was just gonna make them. Well, I was making them and I had friends asking me, and I would sell them items, one-offs. And then, so when we realised they're, like, one-off as well, we made this label, and it, and it comes from a label that I, I borrowed a, a frock coat once from a, a prop house from Angels and Bermans, and it was Marlon Brando's frock coat from Mutiny on the Bounty. And it had a label on it on the inside that was said Paramount Studios, and it said, I think it says, like, Actor, and it has said Marlon Brando written in it. And it, and it says Lot, and it's, like, Lot 1 or meaning yep. like, you know, which film lot, 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 lot one studio two or whatever. And, and a date on it and everything. And I, I, I thought, God, if I put a little label like that on the back of every garment and sign it, then it, it, I was thinking if, if Malcolm McLaren and Vivian Westwood did that when they launched <laughs> seditionaries, yes. like, you know, could you imagine those garments would be worth fortunes now? They're almost, cause they are like, everything that I'm doing is virtually like a one-off piece. Um, and then Going back to when I discovered all those rolls of dead stock fabric when I was a kid working for David Rees, when I was going to these little factories to get them to sew on patches on all these garments and put the labels in, they had tons of rolls of dead stock fabric. So I was, I just got them. I got a pattern made for a little little bomber like shirt jacket, and I got them to remake it in the in the in the little fact just you know one of a size one small one medium one large one extra large one double extra large in 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 like a roll of red check and in a a bright blue cotton twill and just any rolls of fabric I could find and I put them in the collection and that and um I started showing this to people and they just they just loved it Mm. um and so then I thought, you know what? Oh, someone had asked me. So I believe in serendipity, things come about and happen. And and I I do too. I, I had a phone call from New York from two DJs that I'd had come to see me about a year before. I don't know why. They took me out for lunch and they said, Oh, we'd love to do a collab with you. And I said, I don't really have a brand anymore. I don't really, you know, well, I don't have a brand anymore. But I'd started playing around with this vintage stuff and and, yeah. we, and and they loved it. They were like, well, look at you. I love what you're wearing. Why don't you do that? And anyway, they rang me in about August last year and said, Stuart, you know, we're coming over. We're, we're, we're playing Soho House for Fashion Week and we want to – but that's on the Thursday. But, we, you know, we want to – go to some runway shows. Can you get us tickets? Can you introduce us to people? And, or, or, do you know any designers, any friends that want to do a launch party? And I thought, you know, I said, actually, I, why don't we do a party? And I thought, well, just have a launch party for this yeah. new thing. And, and it'll be a bit of fun. It'll, you know, I said, well, you know, will you, will you do it for clothes? They're like, yeah. Uh, so it wasn't really going to cost me much. And, um, and so I put it on my social media, just, you know, and I, and I don't have a huge amount of followers. I've got like five, 6,000 followers on Instagram and same on Facebook and, and same on LinkedIn and whatever. And I just put it out on my social media platform and, and I put an RSVP in. Well, immediately, actually, I started getting loads of people comments. I got hundreds of likes and hundreds of comments going, oh, put me on the list. So I added Amazing. an RSVP and said, that you know, RSVP to info at stuarttrevor.com. Within a week, we had 350 RSVPs from all over, people flying in from New York and all that that wanted to come. In. And we were like, oh, my God, this is going to get a bit serious. You were so like, we, what
0: have I done? I've just launched yeah. a
1: brand. Well, I hadn't even thought that it was a brand yet. I hadn't really and, – and, and then actually about seven – 750 people turned up to this launch party and we'd hung everything on chains, on a hanger, just sort of spinning around in the room in my old studio. Uh, it's a really beautiful old Victorian tea warehouse in Hoxton, just north of Shoreditch. And anyway, so many, everyone turned up and and everyone loved it. Everyone loved the idea. And we'd made... I'd got a lot of vintage T-shirts and hoodies and customized them, and but I'd noticed that some of them, like you know, they they got sweat marks. You have to cut the sleeves out, and I realised that we we're going to have to find a really nice, the most sustainably produced organic cotton T-shirt because we're going to need essentials that are uh, you know new. Yeah. So, um, so when we say a clothing brand that doesn't produce any clothes, we're we're still not producing any clothes because we're buying garments that uh someone has made and they hold stock of and we just buy from them but they're 100 they're percent gots certified organic cotton uh, they feel really beautiful i mean people aren't really going to wear we do have vintage t-shirts and vintage hoodies mm. but some people aren't going to wear them they're, they're, they're just yeah. not going to wear them and, and and we have to think of this as a business it needs to we need to work out you know uh, we need to we don't I, we had in the beginning, just vintage sort of pieces, you generally older people would come in and say, I absolutely love it, but they would only buy the dead stock the, the new garments made from dead stock fabric. Because some people are a bit funny about wearing vintage clothes. I mean, I I, I love it. I'm happy. But this but. is
0: the change, isn't it? This is the change that we're going to see. What's your, when you think about this, this is how many brands are you now? One, well, if you include recent sense of that your turnaround that you did, and, um, you know, this is your fourth business. What is your aspiration here? What's your dream did you did you you didn't expect yourself to be now at this stage did you with a new brand doing it all over again no does that fill you with excitement or are you slightly do you know have you have you got enough yes. of the war scars to sort of know this time around what you're going to enjoy and what you're not going to worry
1: about i'm really excited about it because basically anyone that's come in to see it you know they they come in and they look at it and they go this is incredible! I love this. This is going to be great. Uh, you know, I want to help you build this, and we're trying to work out a plan of what we do and where we go from here. I I'm just quite happy that everyone likes it, and that uh, and, and so we we got invited to do Pitti Uomo in Florence. So going back <gasps> no to way. where I first went with David Reese, um, we someone introduced me to the guy. So we went to Florence, and we brought a model, and we just wore really cool pieces from the collection. And we got we had people stopping us in the street all the time, asking us where wow, which design does he get he which is this designer? We love it. Where can we buy this? And I'm like, no, this is vintage. And they're like, no way. Like, you know, you're oh like you look gosh. like the coolest. We I'd bought a uh, so I know in these military places they have like those the sort of you know, Welsh guards, drummers Yeah, yeah. I love that. With that. I mean, it's you've seen it on my Instagram and all I know that.
0: your site very well, actually.
1: It's 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 so incredibly cool these pieces. I mean you're you're obviously never gonna sell loads of them, but bands love all that sort of stuff. Mick Jagger wore one back in the 60s, got an iconic photograph of yeah. him. Wearing that. And and we wandered around Florence in Italy with, with the model was wearing that. And I had on a, like a vintage M51 Parker with patches on it and, and with, with a picture of John Lennon with peace written through the eyes and on a patch on the back of it. And, and, um and a David, a bomber jacket with David Bowie with Saint through the eyes written on mm. it. And, and, and everybody, everybody just loved it. It was, um and, and I think, I don't know. It's very early days. As David Bowie said, I, I don't know where I'm going, but I can promise it won't be boring. That's one of my favourite <laughs> quotes. Love um,
0: I love that. I love that. Tell me when you were walking down the streets and how many years has it been between the beginning of this story and then? Is it 30 years?
1: So, uh it's 40 years 40 almost.
0: years okay so yeah. 40 years you're you're on the pavements same pavement. 39 sort of thing yeah, yeah. what yeah, yeah, yeah. what what a what a glorious life huh when you think about it what a what an adventure you have had and i've had a lot of fun you have had a lot of fun but you've also got, it's just incredible these these stories warm my heart that there you were 40 years ago. And now you're treading on those streets with so much wisdom and confidence. And of course, you know, you're on the next rocket ship.
1: But oh, I don't know. It's just, do you know I what? mean,
0: sorry. You know, that's why people have had the reaction. This is, why, this is why he bought the two bottles of champagne when you were sunning your face on the balcony. You know, yeah. you've got something. You've got something that only you will ever have. And, and well, that is...
1: People are saying now, you know, a lot of people have said very recently, very complimentary things about this new um, – the new business, that it's visionary and it's and, – and and somebody wrote, it's nothing new like that. And and, and it's in, on a LinkedIn post, because I was, you know, talking about it and he said, I've seen it before, it's nothing new. And I went, yeah, that's 100% right, it is, it's nothing new. It's, it's you know, I, I, obviously – yeah, everything that virtually everything that we've got is based on existing pieces. Exactly, and uh, so yeah, it's nothing new. But it, but but vintage wearing vintage clothes. My kids will not wear anything but vintage. Yeah. They if you ask them what do you want for your birthday, they want to go, yeah, to a you know vintage shop, yeah. or they now come in and and drive me mad about having pieces out of the collection sort of thing <laughs> most recently, which was very sweet because they're, you know, 16 and 18. And and my son, two daughters, and my son is 24. And, and they only wear vintage clothes. They don't. Yeah, they're, they're, same as
0: my son. He's, it's not completely, but it, when I gave him your jacket... This was just oh him and his girlfriend absolutely loved it. They share, I mean, it's you know, and by the way, your brand is now aspirational to them, you know. Yeah. But within the vintage world, do you know what I mean? Yeah. That's what was so amazing to think about it. They had been trawling your website and knew all about it and were saving up for it and all this sort of stuff. So suddenly, vintage had has now got that sort of. I don't know, that air about it that you've created. I'm going to ask you two questions before we get to your letter to younger self. It's what I ask all of our guests. You've had this extraordinary, as we just said, you know, 40 years of brand building. If it's all like a roller coaster, the whole journey was just one epic, big roller coaster and you're looking pretty fine in your cart. Um, Tell me what you would say one of your biggest lows has been.
1: Oh, I mean, it's people say things to me, you know, all the time, like, well, it's all right for you. You founded All Saints and all this sort of stuff. Like as if my life has been like a bed of roses. Uh, As you know, running a business, um, there's always ups and downs. There are times where you don't think you're going to, the business is going to survive. I mean, that happened while I was at Reese, that happened while I was at All Saints. And you just have to manage your I, – I think I remember a couple of years ago realising that when, when you meet investors or you speak to other people about potentially working with you or working on you or joining you, they don't want to just hear about all the positives. They want to hear about – negative things and how mm-hmm. you and, and the main point is how you overcome those negatives and how you handled it and and because it's it's all about managing a business i've managed both all saints and bolingara trevor through periods of distress where we didn't know whether or not we were going to survive and, and unless i'd made specific decisions then you know neither of them would have survived um and people don't really know about that because you don't mm. go around That's telling anyone. Bit telling
0: yeah exactly yeah, yeah you
1: don't put any of that on social media <laughs> no,
0: what would you say has been your greatest high on this journey
1: I've yet to get there I mean I've had lots of highs but I I'm looking forward I always I never think of anything I've I've done as being that great and I and I I'm hoping I'm gonna get to that point at some day so you know I always look oh a very optimistic person I always think you know, good things are going to happen, but but I, I'm also realistic, a realist. So I, I also know that you know there's a lot of hard work um, involved. But I, you know, but I, yeah, don't I don't think I've hit the high notes. I'm still trying to get there. It's still yeah. coming.
0: I love that. Out of all of my interviews, no one has ever said that. I just love yeah. that, that. That it's still
1: coming. Well, yeah, not yeah yet. Keep watch this space.
0: <laughs> Watch this space, so to speak. You have been glorious, Stuart. I mean, I could speak to you all day, and there is just this vision and innovation and damn right talent that just sort of. Just shines out of you, even though you don't necessarily, you know, you recognise it. Potentially that something's gone right for you, but you're, you're such a lovely human being. I'm wondering if
1: you have prepared a letter to your younger self. I didn't actually and, write it down because I kept thinking, yeah, I, know. <laughs> um, I should do, but then I kept thinking, all I would say, and and I would, you know, write. But how would you start that, dear Stuart? Yeah, dear Stuart. Yeah, d- I mean, I thought about this and how I would write it. Would be, you know, dear Stuart, um, and the things that I would put in it would be, you know, always look on the the bright side of life. And and and, but then I started singing the the Life of Brian um, song. But uh, but no, just always be positive and all, You know, tr- try always try to to do. The, the absolute best job that you can do in everything that you do. But that's what I've always done. I, and I often get asked by, you know, friends or advice for their kids or, or you know, to give my kids advice or whatever. And it's it's always strive to be the best at whatever you are asked to do. So even if you, you know, you get a job as an, in, or, you know, you get a, doing it in an internship and they ask you to hoover the building, then just do it as best as you can. Don't just... Do the you know, try and get it over and done with so that you can get onto bits that you like. And that's that's what I, I advise to anyone is always I think the reason why it worked for me with David Reese is I tried my hardest to impress him. And you know, even though I didn't have a clue what I was talking about, when he asked me what's the big look, I gave it a go. I just thought, I know, I gave it a go and 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 that's so a lot of people, my partner asked me when I first met her, "What you know, what is your motto in life? My my motto in life is get on with it. You know, just, I think if people just got on with it, everything would get done, wouldn't it? Rather than, you know, should I, shouldn't I? What am I going to do? Where am I, you know, how do you think I should do? You know, just get on with it because you're never going to find out. You're, you'll only regret it if you don't do it. If you do do it and it doesn't work out, you'll be like, oh, well, that didn't work out. Let's do the next thing. But um, if you just get on with it, then you'll find out whether it works. And sometimes it works.
0: What a brilliant piece of advice. Brilliant piece of advice. And I just thank you so much for your time today. I mean, a true, yeah, a true fashion god has been on the podcast and I'm just no I mean joking me I just absolutely adore everything you've done and I'm a big fan of who and what you're doing right now Um, I'm going to be right by your side cheering you on I just think it's fantastic and we all need people like you to to aspire to so thank you so much Stuart for your time today and congratulations on giving birth to a new business baby oh
1: wow yeah let's hope it turns into an adult and (laughs) have a happy life
0: thank you for joining me today if you've enjoyed this episode can I ask that you share it with a friend and like subscribe and review it too so that together we can inspire even more people to follow their dreams to build a life they love